0: So it's good to be with you, and uh, if you've got your uh, Bible open, we'll be in James chapter one today. We started last week, kind of an overview, and the entire summer we will be going through the book of James. Today we'll be in chapter one, and by the time we get to the end of August, we'll be wrapping it up. This is one of the best books. It's about growing up. It's about maturing in your faith. It's Christianity 101. And uh, to me, it is one of the most practical little reads in scripture uh, that will enhance you in your walk with Jesus every day, okay? Let's pray it up. It's gonna be uh, just an incredible time here this morning. Father, I pray that our hearts would be open to you. I pray that our hearts would be open to you transforming us today. I pray that we would be open to the word of God, that the word of God would penetrate us deeply. I pray that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to speak to each life specifically with whatever's going on. And I pray that every person, whether live in this room or those that will be watching on video, I pray that they would experience the hope of the gospel of Jesus in a fresh and powerful way. In Christ's name, amen. So when you start to read through the book of James, it's interesting that a a lot of the writers, even in scripture, they kind of ease into their subject matter, and then they began to kind of go in a direction. Not James. James introduces himself, and then bam, it is on, right out of the gate. You don't see a lot of... uh, Encouragement like Paul would write to certain people in Philippi or Ephesus or whatever. James introduces himself and goes, All right, game on, let's go. And that's the way he starts. It's interesting when you start to look at James, not the book, but the person. And I think it's important to ask the question Who is this guy? If you go back and read James, uh, John chapter 7, John uh, chapter 7, verse 3. It says, Jesus's brothers urged him as they scoffed at him with sarcasm. Why don't you go where your followers can see your miracles? You can't become a public figure if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, why don't you prove it to the world? Look at verse 5. For even his brothers did not believe in him. It's interesting when you study it. Uh, he, Jesus, he had siblings. They were half brothers, if you will, half sisters. And they had the same mama, but they had a different daddy, which I think poses the question for all of us, who's your daddy? Who are you leaning into? Who do you really belong to? I want to show you a clip, and then I want to unpackage this. But one of my favorite kind of Christmas movies, uh, we watch it every year. It's a movie called Fred Claus. Yeah, we watch Christmas Vacation. I love Jesus and I'm not pagan. I still like that movie. But we do enjoy the movie Fred Claus. And there is a scene in Fred Claus where about two-thirds of the way through the movie, Fred is in this uh, siblings anonymous kind of session. He's sitting around with these other dudes because of their sibling rivalry and sibling pain. And in this scenario, when you watch it, you'll see uh, people like Stephen Baldwin. You'll see Sylvester Stallone's brother, Morgan Freeman's brother, Bill Clinton's brother. Check out the scene. Maybe that's a place where I could jump in and then share what's going on with me. Who are you? I'm Fred. I'm Fred. Hi, Fred. Hi. Hey, go ahead. Would you Would you like to take a turn now? My name is uh, Fred Claus. Hi, Fred. Hi, Fred. I'm uh, uh, I'm Santa Claus's brother, and yeah, I got a lot of stuff going on uh, because of it. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of um, a lot of juice in the tank over it, and. Is uh, this a joke to you, uh, Stephen? By the way. Hi, Stephen. Hey, guys. What's up? I mean, because this isn't funny to all of us here in the group. This is very serious to us. And I'm feeling very uncomfortable with where you're coming from. Okay, Stephen. Steven. Maybe to him, his brother is Santa Claus. I feel, I feel like my brother's Santa Claus. Yeah, but, but I feel like my brother's Santa Claus because my brother really is Santa Claus. All right, that's enough, all right? You and I got a problem. Oh, all right, oh, Steven, oh, easy, uh, easy, all right. Steven, easy. <laughs> <laughs> That's not Alec, (laughs) okay? Don't look at me, look at him. That's not Alec. That's not Alec. Come on, Alec. You know what I mean? All right, let's stomp it out. That's not not Alec. Alec. Stephen Alec's not going to hear that. How's he going to? That's not Alec. Okay, that's not Alec. That's not Alec. That's not Alec. That's not Alec. (laughs) All right. So here's the thought I had, okay? I love that movie. But I had this thought. What about if James had been in a siblings anonymous group therapy session? Wonder what that would have looked like. I can see James sitting there and listening to the other stories, and all of a sudden, him raising his hand and goes, Hey guys, my name's James. And the group saying, Hello, James. It's the way it is at AA. That is the way it is at recovery. You introduce yourself, right? And then James would lean into this statement. Uh, I've always struggled with feeling like I just never measured up. I had this brother that was kind of perfect. Well, he was perfect. All of a sudden, the guy leading the session would look and say, James, when did this start? He goes, well, it started when I was a really young boy. I'll never forget when I started school, my teacher looked at me one day and said, I hope you're as good as your brother. And, well, I never was as good as my brother. It was impossible to be that good. So, James, who's your brother? Well, my my, my brother is Jesus Christ. They call him Emmanuel. Uh, dude, are you serious? You're saying that you grew up in the same house with a Messiah? You grew up in the same house with God? I really really did. Well, James, what was your childhood like? Well, I'll never forget growing up we had this pet donkey and we loved our pet donkey and one day this chariot hit our pet donkey and killed it and it was laying in the yard and it was dead and We were all crying in the yard when my brother walked out and looked at the donkey and said, Jack, get up. And Jack stood up and showed us his teeth and began to walk around. Wonder what James's life was like. He grew up in the same house with God. James would say, you know, I will never forget my mom looking at me saying, why can't you be more like Jesus? And then one day I looked at her and said, why can't you be more like Jesus? And when you read this, it says he didn't believe. And I I had James in that therapy session going, how would he navigate through that? What would it have been like to be a sibling in the same house, eating the same soup, going to the same school with the Messiah? The scripture says he didn't believe. And you go, well, well, why didn't he believe? He was blind to it, right? When did he start to believe? 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul writes this, he says, I delivered unto you the most important thing I could write to you. And it was this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried, and on the third day he was raised to life. And then Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, and he says, then this risen Christ appeared and revealed himself to me. And then in verse 7 it says, he appeared and revealed himself to James. I'm reading that, Jeff, and I'm thinking, when a once-dead man begins to speak to you, it demands your attention. James has an encounter with the risen Christ for years he didn't believe. And here, here, here here would be the practical thing I think we have to entertain. Do I really believe? If believe means to be persuaded to action, it means to have feet with my faith, do I believe? James grew up around Jesus all of his life. He had been associated with Jesus. He had been around the faith, but he didn't embrace it and there's a lot of people throughout this land and there's a lot of people in the southern culture in the bible belt they've been around the faith they've been around church they've been around where jesus is being spoken and jesus is doing miracles but they don't believe there's no action there's no there's no fruit and you do you have to stop and go do i believe James 1, verse 1 says, James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, bondservant, I'm yielded, I'm surrendered, I am a servant of Master Jesus. You, you can recognize that I am a bondservant of, of Master Jesus through my faith and through my active obedience. That's how you can tell if a person is a servant to God. Do they yield? Do they surrender? Is their faith active? Are they involved in service? He goes on to say, James, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed and scattered abroad, many believe that when Stephen was martyred, Back in Acts 6, when Stephen was martyred, the church was brand new, if you will. The church had just been birthed. Peter begins to preach at Pentecost. Acts 2, all these people come to faith in Christ. The church is just months old. Now all this persecution and attack are coming at the believers. Stephen's kill. and many believe that the church began to scatter. It began to be more elastic and flexible and transient. It was all over the place. That's who he's writing to. To the believers who are scattered, to, to the believers who are under persecution, to the believers who are afraid you might be killed. Consider it. Listen, listen to this. Right out of the gate. Consider it all joy, my brothers. Whenever you encounter various trials. It means when you have problems, you can still choose, if you're really a follower of Christ, you can still choose to have a joyful attitude no matter what your circumstances are. That's what he's saying. Consider it joy. Knowing that, knowing that, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and perseverance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect, so that you may be complete, which means so that you're growing up, so that you're maturing, so that you're not lacking anything. Let endurance have its perfect work. I want to unpackage this for you. Here's a key phrase as you start to break down James chapter 1, these first few verses. Knowing that. Some of the translations read, because you... No. I rejoice because I know that God is using my setback as a set up to bring about deeper spiritual growth in my life. This is not a wasted event for me. I know that God is at work. God is in control. God is up to something. God is God, and God is faithful. I want you to keep that in mind. And I want to share with you Four realities in life. And these are realities for each and every one of us. I promise you there are. Four realities in life. And if someone said, Tim, define life, I would say life equals problems and suffering and pain. That's what I would say. First reality. You will experience problems. It doesn't say if, it says whenever you face these problems, trials, consider it joy. So life 101 for each and every one of us, I promise you, I'm living there right now, life 101 is you will have problems, you will have heartache, you will have difficulty. And I would say this, and there's many that need to hear this, you're not the only one on the planet experiencing problems. You're not the only person on the planet being mistreated. Life has a way of mistreating all of us. Sin disrupted humanity at every level, and we're born into the world flooded with all these problems around us. And so don't quit, don't throw the towel in, make sure you have a proper perspective of life. Even Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, pain, chaos, tension, heartache, difficulty, but 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 be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. If, if we would really land in this place right here where it says, life is flooded with problems. And, and one of the things I've learned is, in regards to problems, Problems are not an elective that you get to take. It's a required course. It's a required course. And it's a required course that we keep having to go through day after day and year after year. Is anyone immune? No one's immune. Is life hard? It's hard. Can you expect them? Yes. Expect problems. Here's the second reality. Here's the second reality. You cannot plan your problems. I wish we could, but we can't. He uses the phrase here of whenever you encounter. Whenever you encounter, the word encounter means you fall into it unexpectedly. It means I didn't see it coming. It means uh, this was not planned, this was random. I, I didn't know this was gonna happen. And for all of us, consider it our joy when you encounter, here's the thing, problems and trials and chaos for each and every one of us, it creates an inconvenience. We get blindsided sometimes. I I didn't see it coming. And, And the truth is, if we could anticipate problems, we would run the other direction because we don't feel like dealing with them. We would. It would be like, oh, no, baby, I ain't, I, uh-uh. I'm not dealing with that. If we could anticipate them, we'd go the other direction. Think about your own life. We don't plan on having a flat tire. That's an inconvenience. Barb is still healing up from foot surgery. We don't plan on rolling our ankle. Don't plan on it. Now, some of us have jacked-up systems But we don't plan on losing our keys or losing our wallet or losing our phone. It's like, where did I leave it? And all of a sudden, it creates this inconvenience. There's problems that come our way every day. You've got some going on right now. You got blindsided, you didn't see it coming. But here's what I've learned when it comes to dealing with problems based on personal experience. I've come to realize that I grow more when I'm going through problems and crisis than I usually do any other time. When I'm going through the ringer, I usually grow. Here's what I know we discover the hidden value of suffering by suffering. We don't discover the value of suffering when we don't suffer. We, when we're going through it, we go, okay. God is stripping away things in my life. I'm pressing deeper into him. I'll never forget back in 1988, I was going through my third arm surgery, and that was a a, a major ordeal for me, and I knew I was about to have my shoulder done, but the week going into the surgery, I was a brand new believer. I'd only been saved about two and a half years at that time. I was getting ready to have this surgery, Brett, and I'll never forget as I was going into it, I was like, a buddy of mine said, why don't you read Philippians? Well, I started reading Philippians every morning and every night. Four little chapters. Hey, man, it's a perspective of joy in the midst of harsh circumstance. Read Philippians. I started combing through Philippians morning and night, morning and night. I go in to have my shoulder done. And when I came out of surgery, I was still reading morning and night. And I remember that the Lord, like, spoke to me and said, now, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to focus on your pain, and I don't want you to focus on what you can't do, meaning throw a baseball. I want you to focus on my faithfulness. And I memorized Philippians 1.12 when I was going through that because that's where Paul said, I want you to know that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. He, he didn't say my circumstances have turned out so that I made more money or I became more famous or, or people like me more. He goes, do, do, you, do you realize that my circumstances of pain and suffering has turned out for the furtherance of the gospel? And and as a result of going through this, I really did see the power of God manifested in the midst of my pain. So instead of asking God, why am I going through this? I started asking God, well, what do you want to teach me? What, what should I learn? God, what are you trying to show me? You're faithful, you're God. You're dependable. You haven't left me. You're trustworthy. And I think a lot of times we try to run from trials and problems and pain, and God goes, do you not realize I love you so much that I'm trying to reveal who I am to you, that you need me, that you should press into me? Here's the third thing. Problems are usually different. That's what he says. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, which means the trials that we face, they, they, it's a variety of them. They come in different shapes and different sizes. The Greek word for the word various means multicolored It means that trial was a red trial, or that one was a blue one, an orange one, and a yellow one, and a green one, which means I just went through a relational trial. That was a relational problem. I just went through a financial crisis. I went through some physical issues. They vary. They come in different shapes. They come in different sizes, and and. Reality is, about the time we think we pass one test or it's like, okay, I think I learned what I'm supposed to learn, there's there's more. And being a student of Jesus, you never run out of tests here on the planet. My buddy Jack Cousins, before he died, Jack was with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and Jack was up in years. He was in his late 70s and he had oxygen hooked up and he was just deteriorating. And I remember a couple of months before Jack died, he and I were talking, and I'm like, Jack, I just want you to know, man, I love you. I appreciate how much you've invested in me and, and just the friend and mentor that you've been in my life, Jack, and we were talking. And I said, Jack, what are you learning? He goes, I'm going through the book of James right now. I said, are you? And he said, it's kicking my tail. This dude's got like two months left on the planet. He's going through James. He goes, and he's kicking my tail. You're never going to run out of problems and pain. And reality is some of the trials and problems you face have greater intensity. They vary in time. You, You can't calculate it, right? I was thinking about this this week. As I was sitting in the living room working on some of this, I've heard people say over the years, they use this cliche, it's almost acceptable and applauded, but people will tell you, when it rains, it pours. And I was sitting there looking out the window, and it started to drizzle and sprinkle rain? And I said, no, 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 it doesn't. Sometimes when it rains, it drizzles. Sometimes when it rains, it just sprinkles for a little bit of time. Sometimes it rains and it kind of rains kind of hard and firm. Sometimes it rains and it's just coming down. But if you go into the mindset that no matter what you're facing, well, when it rains, it pours. You're telling me that you're not considering it joy and you're okay playing the victim card. Think about it. Some of the problems that you face, man, what an inconvenience. But a lot of the problems we face are tailor-made just for me. You think about some of the things that you've gone through, they're tailor-made just for you. God knows what he's taking you through. You ever sit around, again, like Siblings Anonymous, you ever sit around in a small group, and all of a sudden somebody goes, well, y'all ain't gonna believe what I've been through. Well, that was tailor made for you. And if we start to feel guilt and shame that maybe our problem or trial was not as bad as that problem or trial, no, God, God allowed you to go through that one. God, God is wanting to grow you up. Here's the good news here's the good news. Problems can be purposeful, problems can be productive. You you think about it in your life. Pain can produce good results. Conflict and turmoil, pressure can produce growth. Uh, uh, trials can be redemptive for all of us. It's our attitude toward it. Suffering can accomplish a lot. Even David the psalmist said, "It was so good for me that I was afflicted, so that I might learn your." Ways, I couldn't trust me. I couldn't depend on me. I had to learn to depend on you. Let me give you three positive purposes of trials. You would, be, you would be wise to write these down. And I want you to think through this. But trials and problems, when they come, it can strengthen your faith. One of the biggest things about a trial that we go through is to strengthen our faith. The text says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and perseverance. Knowing that the testing, the the phrase testing of your faith, the literal translation means it is under fire. It was like a a blacksmith or whatever. He would go in and, and with the gold or silver or whatever, you have to heat it up. What's the temperature? Maybe 1,000, 1,500 degrees, but I'm about to put this gold and silver under the fire. And what would happen is when you would put it under the fire, it was being tested, okay? So as it heated up, what would happen is a lot of the dross and the impurities would melt away and burn off from it. So, bam, that happens. Some of the impurities are gone when we're under fire another thing that happened is it strengthened and solidified even the purity of the metal so now now when you go through fire and if you're leaning into God a lot of the dross and impurities in your life can be melted away but it's also going to bring about purification and to make you stronger I heard a guy years ago teaching on this, and he said, you know how long that blacksmith or whatever would keep that precious metal? You know how long he would keep it in the fire? He would pull it out and look at it, and pull it out and look at it. He said, you know when he would remove it? When he could look at it and see his reflection in it. And God is at work desiring to see his reflection in your life, in my life. And so we go through the fire and we're under fire at times, And it's like, oh, I wanna quit. But Job said, read his biographical sketch. Job said, He tested me through the refining fire, and I have come out as pure as gold. As pure as gold. I've come out pure. And God will oftentimes allow us to go through the trials. The word trial means to purify us for our good and God's glory. That's where it lands. God will take us through it. But here's what I've come to realize. And I'll never forget having this conversation. uh, Back in the, uh, back around 2000, I got a phone call one day. And the lady said, is there any way I can sit down with you and Barb and just hang out for a bit? I need to talk through stuff. Never never had met her and talked to her one-on-one. Had met her in passing. You go back, if you're in this area and know this culture a little bit. This lady had one of the most painful narratives of that time, I believed, as a mom that I had dealt with. It was John Rocker's mama. And John Rocker had gotten blown up in all this stuff he was doing uh, with the Braves. This guy had written just a brutal article. And I couldn't imagine the pain of Judy of what she was going through. Her her son was like national mockery and, and, and it was bad. But we sat down and she said, Tim, I brought him up in the church. He went to a Christian school. He's been around the faith. What happened? And I sat there and hurt for her. But here's what I shared. I said, faith that has never been tested cannot be trusted. Your faith is not under fire. His faith and belief system is under fire. And that lady reached out to me this week. Didn't she, Judy? Uh, Julie? Uh, Miss Judy reached out to me this week, and she and I had just an incredible conversation. But I was like, wow, he had to go through the fire. How are you going to handle the fire? It's not are you going to go through it, it's how are you going to respond when you're in the middle of it? Second thought, underneath how it, it really is good, it can promote growth or whatever, is that trials promote endurance, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Orlando, here's here's something we care about in the athletic world. The Greek word for endurance, listen to this, Kevin, the Greek word for endurance means the ability to stay with it when you're under pressure. I want to see how people endure. I want to see how people persevere. When, When the When life starts mistreating you a lot and things get difficult, do you have staying power? Are you going to throw the towel in real quick? Are you really committed to to grow up or or are you just known to give up? How do you handle pressure? How, How do you, do you stay with it? And I love that. The ability to stay with it even when you're under pressure. That's perseverance. One of the great lessons that God taught me, we had these Bible studies going on with all these athletes, but I'll never forget this one back in the late 90s. There there was one dude that was kind of the ringleader, and he started to attack me greatly. He started to attack me as a man, character, and all this, and I saw what he was doing. But again, I believe that I cannot live the crucified life unless God uses other people to nail my butt to the cross you hear me? All of a sudden, there was a couple of others that he recruited in the process, some of these athletes. And they wanted to sit down with me. And I'm like, all right. And I go over there to meet with these guys. And it was about a two-hour meeting. And this guy started it, bam, major attack. The next guy started contributing. The next guy started contributing. And I sit there because before I went into that meeting that day, The Lord said, you're about to be attacked, okay? Just be prepared. But he gave me Joseph in the Old Testament of when Potiphar's wife was trying to hit on Joseph and trying to lure him in. The scripture says, but he refused. And God said, when you sit in there today, refuse. Refuse to defend yourself. Refuse to make statements. Refuse to ante up and fight back. Just refuse, just sit there and wear it. And I did. And I was like, when it was over, got in my car, drove back. I was like, Lord, that was hard. That was very, very difficult. That was painful. Oh, that hurt. These guys that I've been pouring into, just uh, they just ripped me and shredded me. I'd been home about 30 minutes, the phone rings. I pick it up, it's Paul Bird. Paul was there, but Paul was not a part of the conspiracy. And Paul goes, hey, brother, you got a second? I said, sure. He goes, I want to tell you how much I love you. He said, and if I've ever seen Jesus in you, I saw it today. He goes, I love you. I'm so proud of you. And that stuff was so out of line. And I'm like, I know. It was. I had a Bible study to go to that night. I went to pick up a friend. Another buddy was riding with me that, that night. And he was going to go knock on the door to tell our friend, hey, man, we're here. And as we were pulling up in front of my friend's house, all of a sudden this snake starts to slide across the, the road. And I'm easing up and I see the snake. And I looked at him and I said, I'm about to run over that snake. I hate snakes. So I eased over the snake, put it in reverse, eased back over the snake. And just for good measure, I started to go up again. And he goes, stop, stop, stop. Turn on your high beams. And I did. He goes, I'm going to jump out and see what kind of snake it is. I'll go tell our buddy you're here. We're here. So he, he gets out. I go to the cul-de-sac. I start to come back down. And he goes, hey, dude, it's a copperhead. It's a copperhead. But buddy gets in the car and we start to drive away and the Holy Spirit said, now what happened to you earlier today was venomous. It was poison. But just like you just ran over that snake, now let's just run over what they said to you. Let it go and don't you carry that around. I want you to stay with it. And one of the things that helped me in regards to persevering and enduring, if you cannot handle criticism, if you cannot handle rejection, if you can't handle being attacked, you're going to throw the towel in, Dozier. You'll quit. And God goes, I want you to have staying power. You're going to stay with it? Remember in John 6, even... When Jesus starts to give that teaching, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can't have any part with me. And, and, and it says many of the disciples left him. And he looks at them and he says, are you guys going to bolt? And Peter goes, where else can we go? You've got words of eternal life. I'm staying with you. I love people that have staying power. Here, here's another thing. Trials will develop character. God's ultimate purpose is to conform you into the likeness of Christ. He wants you to mature. Romans 8:29 says that those that God foreknew, he also predestined them to become conformed into the likeness of Christ. God is trying to shape you and I every day to be more like Jesus. And God is more Concerned with shaping my character than he is making me comfortable. Do you hear me? And for many of us, it's like, well, I just want to be comfortable. It's not going to be comfortable. We're going to go through tough times. We're going to hurt at times. Our heart's going to be broken at times. God, what's your ultimate plan right now for my life? I want to make you more like. Jesus, I want to bring about maturation in your life. And I've heard people say uh, everything was going great when I first asked Jesus to save me, but then all hell broke loose and all these problems started coming on to me, and and maybe I'm not even saved. No, 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 you're exactly where God wants you. You're in a character course right now. That's what you're in. You're you're, you're in a course that's to develop and mature your character. God God is wanting you to have staying power. He's wanting your faith to be in him and not in better circumstances. You believe that? I do. Because all things really do work together for good to those who love God, who have been called according to his purposes. So so if God wants to teach you love, he's going to allow you to be around some rude people. I I, I, I want you to love more, but now you're mad that that person was rude, but I'm trying to teach you to love, and it's easy to love those who love you and do things for you. If God is wanting to teach you joy, he will allow you to be around sadness and some crisis and tragedy so that the joy of the Lord is central. If he's wanting to teach you peace, He will allow you to be around some chaos. We think if God's going to teach us love and joy and peace, he's going to put us with loving people and joyful people and peaceful situations. That's not the way it works. It's usually the opposite because he's wanting you to be the peace in the midst of the storm when other people are going crazy. Right? Right? Remember the word mature, the word grow up means to ripen, to become complete, to be ready, to be used by God. So what, 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 what do we know? We know that's who Jesus is, and he's wanting to make us like Christ. So how do you embrace the problems? Three things right out of the text, and then I'll, I'll wrap it up with you. So how, how do you embrace these problems? The first thing you got to do is you got to learn to rejoice. Consider it. Joy when you encounter. Consider it pure joy when all these trials are around you. He's not saying fake it till you make it. He's not saying pose and pretend. He's not even saying deny your reality. He's saying, hey, hey, instead of rejoicing, instead of rejoicing in your pain, learn to rejoice in me. Whatever the object of your attention is, is where your affection is going to be. So we don't rejoice for the problem. We rejoice in the problem. We're not asking God to remove every storm from us. We're just asking God to be strong with his presence as we're in the midst of the storm. I'm not even saying you thank God for the situation But I'm saying you can thank God in the situation. God, you're with me. You've told me you'd never leave me. You'd never forsake me. Here's, here's Here's another piece that's huge. When you're going through trials and problems, don't focus, don't get fixated on where the problem is coming from. You may have caused the problem. It may be straight from hell, and Satan may have caused the problem. Somebody else may have caused the problem. The source of the problem is not the issue because if I'm going to live the crucified life, God can use it all to grow me and ripen me. And I think a lot of times we get fixated on what the cause or the culprit of the problem is and God goes, are you going to let me use that to grow you? The difference is our attitude. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Let this attitude be in you. So when you read the word consider, this is good right here. The word consider means to take a long look at. It means to make up your mind. I want you to evaluate it. Every good and perfect gift is from me. Nothing can come against you unless I allow it to happen. We live in a fallen world. Pain is surrounding each and every one of us. Our hearts have been broken so many different ways. I cannot control what happens around me, but I can control what happens in me, and I can choose where I go with it. The psalmist said in chapter 34, verse 1, I will praise the Lord at all times. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, in all things give thanks, for this is the will of God. Just give thanks. Even when you don't feel like doing the right thing, keep doing the right thing. Because what do we know about turmoil, chaos, and problems? It'll either make us or it'll break us. It'll either make us or break us in life. And I have to look at it going, I, I'm okay with God being enough there. Here, here's the second thing. He says, pray. Any of y'all like wisdom? Ask God. Pray. Seek the face of God. God gives to all people generously, without reproach. When you're in the middle of a crisis, pray. When you're on the mountaintop, pray. When you're in the deepest pit, pray. Do not waste the opportunity to say, God, I need you. I can't do it without you. Every Every problem and circumstance we go through, in my opinion, it's an opportunity for growth. Don't waste it. Pray for wisdom. God, I need your mind. I need to see things from your point of view. I know I'm not looking at this right. I'm all twisted up here. And as I said before, stop asking why and just say what. What what do you want me to learn? What are you trying to teach me here? What are you doing right now? How are you trying to conform me? I think if we started just asking what instead of why, What's the why? The why is to purify us. The why is to strengthen our faith. The why is to get us to trust God, period, which is the third piece. I'm going to rejoice, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to trust. Trust God. Trust God that he really is in control. He re- Do I believe he's sovereign? Yes. Do I believe that he's got everything under control? Yes. Yes. Do I believe he can raise the dead? Yes. Do I believe he always raises the dead? No. Do I believe people battle sickness? Yes. Do I believe sitting there looking at my little girl knowing with the cystic fibrosis she deals with and repeated sickness? This antibiotic's not working. This is not. Do I know that there's a chance she may have to be hospitalized for a couple of weeks and them to go back in and try to clean her up? Yeah, yes. Yes. Do I believe that God is sovereign? Yes. Do I know what God's doing in her life? No. Do I know how God wants to use her? No. Do I know the divine appointments that possibly exist at that hospital if she is hospitalized for two weeks? No. I don't know. But do I really believe that God has it under control? Yes. Do I believe her days are numbered? Yes. And I believe my days are numbered. Do I believe that she will ever go through anything where God is not there with her, teaching her, growing her, and maturing her? No, I don't. God's going to be with her. Can I rejoice in the Lord? Will I pray and will I trust God? Let's pray it up and move into a time of corporate prayer and uh, communion.